It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome to the Virtual Bible Study for November 19th, 2009. We're live tonight and we're glad that you're with us. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, glad to be with you tonight on the Virtual Bible Study uh, for another one of our hour-long Internet Bible study group meetings. We're running up against the wire tonight trying to get uh, – we've got a couple Johns online tonight who have been helping us uh, try to get some better video quality, and we don't have it going yet. Tonight. Yeah, we were late getting started because you were trying to tweak our, our uh, video resolution, and it didn't work. And so. our listeners will be happy to know they don't have to look at us in high resolution. Tonight. That's right. No more – no better resolution tonight. Maybe we can work on that. Well, all right. Uh, we Tell have, them about how to get a hold of us, Jacob. Yeah, 877-381-4567 is the toll-free number to use tonight. We pay the bill, 877-381-4567. We'd love to hear from you on the phone. We'd love to hear from you over email tonight. The email address to use is questions at collegeu.com. Both avenues for contacting us are open and ready for your contact right now. Get online and uh, join in on the discussion. Or if you'd like to join in with other listeners, the chat room is going tonight. Uh, go to the chat room, follow the instructions on your screen, and you can chat with other listeners on the program tonight. We have an interesting topic planned for tonight, a topic that's been in the news quite a bit here recently. Jacob, we're hearing a lot about the year 2012, and many people are speculating that the world is going to end in 2012. In fact, they've picked a date. It's December 21st, 2012. And uh, you may be hearing a lot about that. Sort of the buzz about 2012 has been increasing just steadily. And I think just recently or or very soon, a movie by that title, 2012, has been or is immediately to be released. And it all has to do with the idea of the end of the the world and things that will happen. And, And so because there is apparently considerable interest in that sort of thing, uh, in fact, I was reading one place where there's been over 200 books written and over a thousand websites devoted to uh, things pertaining to the year 2012. I thought maybe we ought to spend some time talking about that and talking about the general topic of the end of time and what we know about it. Um, to our update list earlier today, I sent out these questions. I always remind you that you can get on our update list if you're not by sending us some email questions at collegeview.com. Tell us to put it, put you on our list, and we'll do that. But here's what we sent out earlier today. Number one, give a brief explanation, that is your understanding, about what's being predicted concerning 2012. What are you, what are you hearing? What do you, what do you, what do you make of all that's being said about the year 2012? Number two, share some other end-time predictions that you know about from the past that have failed. And there have been plenty of them, Jacob, through the centuries even. There have been predictions about the end. Obviously, all of them to date have failed. Number three, we're taking a poll concerning various views of Matthew 24 and uh, and what it might tell us about the end of time. And if you, if you got uh, – and we don't have that post anywhere except in our update posting – if you got our email earlier today, there's a link where you can go to take that poll, and we're going to talk about Matthew 24 and how it relates to anything pertaining to the end of time. And then the, we want to wrap up by asking the question, what do we definitely know about the end of time? You know, there's a lot of speculation that amounts to nothing more than wild guesses and shots in the dark. But the Bible gives us some specific things we can know about the end of time, and that's where we really ought to rest our, our faith and confidence is in what the Bible definitely says instead of what men are speculating about. So those are the questions we want to look at tonight. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. Now, the movie 2012 is based upon uh, some other preconceived notions about the year 2012 based upon the Mayan calendar. And uh, apparently the Mayan calendar 
which was created some years before Christ even, uh, it, it ends mysteriously at the year 2012. And so I guess there's a lot of um, yeah. of mystery that maybe the world, they knew something about the end of the world that we don't know. They claim to anyway. Of course, the Mayans were really, uh, they were advanced in some ways. Their culture was advanced in some ways. Apparently they had some fairly significant understanding of uh, of astronomy. Uh but other things about their culture were very primitive, and they, of course, were pagans. They they were not believers in the true God. And so it's a little curious to me that people who call themselves Christians put a lot of confidence in what in a, in a civilization of people that were basically pagans and, and so forth. But here's, Anthony in Columbia says they also had human sacrifices. So right. that shows you a little bit about their understanding of things. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I've got an article here, The End Game Begins by Marie Jones, and she says the world is abuzz with talk of the year 2012. For some, the year hints at apocalyptic end times, a period in which the world will be thrown into utter chaos and violent upheaval, a turbulent and tumultuous epic in which both natural and man-made disasters will decimate and possibly lead to the extinction of life as we know it. So that's that's one view of people. But there are some, she says, who are more optimistic and say that the date amounts to a, a, a moment of awakening, a massive global transformation of consciousness, one which is to be anticipated with joy and celebration. So obviously the people who even take stock in something happening in 2012 are not sure what it will be. But a lot of people point to the end of time. In fact, one article said that people were so upset about it uh, here's a, a NASA scientist, David Morrison, at the Ames Research Center in California. He said, people are really worried about the world coming to end. Kids are contemplating suicide. Adults tell me they can't sleep and can't stop crying. There are people who are really scared, he says. Uh, so obviously this thing's catching on, and some people, people are paying a lot of I guess one of the things, one of my reactions is I always wish people would pay attention to things that really mattered more than all this foolishness that circulates around from time to time. Anyway, this this Marie Jones goes on to say the mythology behind the 2012 enigma focuses on the ancient Mayan long count calendar, which was a Mesoamerican calendrical system that mysteriously ends December 21, 2012. Interestingly enough, that date also coincides with the winter solstice. The, now, here, here's this. The, the date further corresponds with the predicted galactic alignment, which is believed to occur when our solar system passes directly through the galactic equator. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the galactic equator, of course, we are in uh, the Milky Way, and supposedly our solar system is near the equator or the midpoint of the of the Milky Way. Um, an article by Greg Braden, author of Fractal Time, says science is telling us that we on this planet, our lives and our planet in general, are under the influence of great cycles of time, cycles within cycles within cycles. Uh, our present great cycle is 5,125 years long, it's linked to an astronomical event that occurred in the year 3114 B.C. He says, on December 21st in the year 2012, we have a straight shot, a linear unobstructed by any other planets or by uh, uh, any other bodies in the solar system where we have direct access to a field of energy in the Milky Way galaxy as we are at the equator point of the galaxy. Now, yeah. I don't know. I, I I have not seen any legitimate confirmation that that is where we are in the galaxy, but that may be true. And Hollywood has caught on to this, and um, according to Wikipedia, they uh, the 2012 movie uh, portrays a cataclysmic event uh, unfolding in the year 2012. Due to solar flare bombardment, the Earth's core will begin heating up at an unprecedented rate. It will result in a series of doomsday event scenarios plunging the world into chaos, such as California falling into the Pacific Ocean, the eruption of the Yellowstone National Park caldera, shifting of the continents by uh, crustal displacement, and uh, magnetosami impacts along every coastline on the Earth and flooding of the entire planet. 
Um, and so there you go. It's going to be a uh, it's going to be something to see in the year 2012. Well, that's what that's what Hollywood is saying. That's what some of these other speculators are saying. This NASA scientist says the world is not going to end in 2012. A rogue planet is not on a collision course with Earth. A solar flare won't toast the planet. So. I mean, the, the the hype and the speculation is all across the board there. And, you know, uh, obviously you can get some people excited about stuff like this. And as I was saying a minute ago, Jacob, what I really wish is that people could get excited and really worked up about things that are important and significant as much as they can get worked up about some of this kind of foolishness. Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com or join in the chat room. And tell us, by the way, tell us if you, if you what your take on all this hype is. I, we've got an email here, Jacob, from Anthony in Columbia who says, my understanding of the 2012 phenomenon is simply that the ancient Mayan calendar ended somewhere in the year 2012. So people have built this whole mythology around the assumption that this means the world will end in 2012. Related to this, I watched a documentary about a man who essentially cracked the Mayan hieroglyphic alphabet and calendar, and it was quite fascinating. The knowledge of math and astronomy of this ancient civilization was quite amazing, but none of this matters. This 2012 thing is just something for people to get excited about, at least people who don't trust God and his Bible. I think you're right on, Anthony. All right. Thank you for those thoughts tonight, and uh, glad to hear from you. We'd like to hear from We'd like to get your impressions. And I don't know. And I, I'm so not in touch with what's going on in the movie world, Jacob. I don't know if that movie has come out yet. It has yet. come out, apparently, according to Wikipedia. Okay. And so, you know, if you know any more about it, if you know any more about what they're saying there in that in that movie scenario, obviously that's... That's taking just a bit of this background and then trying to build some kind of a drama around it, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, you know, if you know more about that than what we've indicated so far, let us know. But it is, I think, bottom line, Jacob, we can say that this is this is all speculation that's related around this Mayan calendar and the fact that it that it ran out uh, in the year 2012 at the time of the winter solstice in 2012 you know, the reason why it may have run out is because the Mayans went to extinct a long time ago. They probably just didn't calculate that. They, they, the... they got tired of calculating that out farther and farther. If they were still around, they probably would have calculated it further, but they died out a long time ago, and that, that, that may be the reason why we don't have it. And I've got a calendar above my desk at work that uh, runs out at uh, December 31st, 2009. Does that mean <laughs> that the world's coming to an end? <laughs> Maybe so. All right. Um Remember our other questions, and we're going to get to these now. We're going to come up on a break here in just a minute, Jacob. But uh, the other questions we've got, th- this is not the first time. The next question we want to talk about, and we'll just do this briefly, but the the this is not the first time that people have predicted the end of the world. There have been lots of such predictions, uh, and if you know of some failed such predictions, you might uh, document those and send a, an email to us. We'll try to share a little bit of that uh, because – People have, for some reason, always been wanting to guess as to when the world would end. And it's not just in our day and time. Really, even going back in, in, in New Testament times, we can read about people who were trying to make some claim or speculation about the Lord's return and the end of time. And so this is no, not new business. But if you know of some sort of some famous ones maybe that have failed, let us know. All right. We'll take a break. And when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Join in now. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. 
Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're a part of it, and we look forward to you talk, commenting as we talk about the end of the world. Is it going to be in 2012? What do you think? A lot of people in the world today obviously are scared, are crying, and uh, kids are contemplating suicide, according to a recent article. What about that? Uh, do you believe that the world will end in 2012? Let us know your thoughts. Um, John in Indiana says the movie is out there in Indiana, and he talked to someone who watched it. They said they have the world ending with a flood. Well, now we know that can't be true, right? We know at the end of Noah's flood, God said that would never happen again in Genesis chapter 8, uh, at the end of Genesis chapter 8. And so uh, we know that that's a false prediction for sure concerning that, that movie, if that's what it is. Absolutely. Uh, John in Oklahoma uh, writes uh, concerning a failed prediction, and I remember this one. There was a book written, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1988. Apparently, all 88 of those reasons were wrong because it obviously didn't happen in 1988. And so, again, there have been lots of such predictions. I've got, got a couple here that are, that, that are kind of interesting. Um, William Miller, who is the founder of the modern Adventist movement, predicted that the the world would end, the Lord would return in 1843. Of course, it didn't happen. And when that failed, he reset the date to October 22nd, 1844. And obviously, he was still wrong on that. So there, there's a the sort, sort of a famous individual, founder of the Adventist movement. Also, in those who call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses, they are not immune to this phenomenon. Oh, man, they've tried, they've tried countless times to make predictions about the end of the world. Okay. Uh, and it, dating all the way back to the guy who started them, Charles Taze Russell, he claimed Jesus had come in October of 1894. And then, and of, course, of course, that didn't happen. And, and then there were several predictions. I think uh, 1914 was a big prediction for the Jehovah's Witnesses. They put so much stock in that mm-hmm. that they claimed that uh, to, to explain away their failure, they claimed, well, he really did come. It was just it, most people didn't see him. He, he came. You know, we were right. He did come. Most people didn't see him. Uh, they said only the only ones to see him would be those with the eye of faith that, that saw him. But they claim that he'll come again within the lifetime of those who saw him in 1914. Well, obviously, they got a big problem because the lifespan of those who were alive in 1914 is rapidly coming to a close. There's only a few people left who were alive in 1914. And so they've, got to, they've, got to, they've had to readjust all that. And they, they've been notorious for that through the years of readjusting their end-time predictions to cover up failures and false predictions. All right. Certainly it would only take one for us to know that they're a false prophet, and uh, if they'd been living in the Old Testament, they should have been stoned. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. As we talk about the second coming of Christ, and will it be in the year 2012? What do you think? Let us know your thoughts. Um, and then Anthony says he thinks that any such prediction, the motive behind any end-time prediction is simply to gain notoriety. And I'd agree with that. I mean, what what's happening in this current phase of of all this hype and carrying on about twenty twelve? People are there. There are some people out there who are making a ton of money selling books and getting people to pay attention to their to their guessing. And so, you know, it may be not only notoriety but also financial benefit that people are seeking. When they go out there to do that. One of the dangers that uh, someone in the chat room says is the scary part is that some of our young people are being heavily influenced by all of this nonsense. And uh, certainly they are. And uh, not necessarily just the young. A lot of old uh, older people are uh, being influenced as well. And so we need to know what the scriptures teach on this sport subject. Remind our listeners of the poll that you've got out there tonight, Dad. And if you okay. have not commented and you cannot get to that poll because you're not on our update list, uh, you can respond in the chat room or you can send in your email tonight. Yeah, we asked a question, uh, what is your view of, tw- uh, of Matthew 24? Does it involve things that, uh, well, let me see here, Jacob. I need, to get to, I need to get to that myself so I can read the way we wrote it. Um, 
Here we go. It's coming up. Uh, oh, come on. There it comes. Here we are. Go. Here we are. Um, we, had, we we gave you f- kind of four options here you, on your view of Matthew 24. Well, click on that link in your in your email there, and it'll get you to it. I'm not I'm not getting the, I'm not getting the way I worded it, Jacob. That's my problem. All right, we've got a question in the chat room tonight, and uh, are the authors of the Left Behind books and their proponents false prophets too? Oh yeah, uh, let's go to the here, here's here's the poll question, Jacob. Many base their predictions about the end of time on Matthew 24. What is your understanding of this important text? Number, Matthew 24 discusses A, things that haven't happened yet, things that will transpire at the end of time. B, things that happened in 70 AD when God sent his judgment on Jerusalem. C, both the destruction of Jerusalem and things that will happen at the end of time. Or D, something else. Okay. So that's the question we ask. And we're getting some results on that. Uh, looks like so far about three-fourths of those who've responded are saying that it involves both the destruction of Jerusalem and things that will happen at the end of time. Uh, we've got the majority. Well, yeah, it looks like the majority is that. And then running second is things that happened in 70 AD. In other words, it's all about 70 AD. And then we, we have only one who has responded and says it involves things that haven't happened yet, things that will transpire at the end of time. So majority opinion right now uh, in our poll is that it involves both destruction of Jerusalem and things that will happen at the end of time. And that's what we want to talk about. Let's talk about Matthew 24 a little bit. Uh, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to dive into this question about the, uh, the left behind books and the left behind authors? Well, let's talk about that. You know, uh, the, I, don't, I, I imagine that most everybody who's listening understands that left behind series that it, it's it's all tied up in premillennial theory. And we have talked about premillennial theory on the virtual Bible study before the books and the movies are wildly popular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very popular. Here, here's the idea. Let, let, let me give you a sort of a thumbnail sketch of premillennialism, the way they the way they predict things are going to happen. The prediction is that there's going to be something happen called the rapture. And most premillennialists think it's it's imminent. It's got to happen real soon. And the idea is that when the rapture occurs, the righteous people of earth will be caught away. They'll just disappear. They'll go to be with the Lord, and they'll, they'll leave the rest of the world behind. And those books and movies are based upon what happens when the righteous, the good people, are raptured away. And if you're among those who are left behind... They argue that the world's going to enter into a long period of terrible tribulation. It's going to last seven years. It's going to be awful. And you can imagine that that probably would be true. If if you took all the good people away and left just the wicked people on earth, things would go from bad to worse. So the left behind books and movies are talking about, they're trying to sort of base that on the concept of being let you're you're among those left behind you're not among those who are raptured to be with the lord you're going to be here on earth in that seven years of tribulation at the end of the seven years of tribulation the lord is going to return he's going to come with his angels and his saints there's uh, the assembled forces of evil are going to fight against him in the great battle of armageddon christ will be victorious and he will set up a, a throne a literal throne in in the city of jerusalem david's throne restored in the city of jerusalem he'll reign over the whole earth a peaceful reign in his kingdom for a thousand years and at the end of that thousand years will come the final judgment and so forth that is the theory of premillennialism and is and and the left behind authors and and movie directors have have been again making a fortune speculating on that rapture and those who are left behind when the rapture occurs. The book, the book was written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And, uh, LaHaye's a big premillennialist. Okay. Uh, and it, and their, you know, their books have not been just ruled out by everyone who is in the religious world as being uh, kooky. Uh, uh, um, Jerry Falwell, uh, he said that uh, in terms of its impact on Christianity, it's probably greater than any than that of any other book in modern times outside the Bible. So he believes you know, he believes it's an accurate representation, or at least it is a helpful representation. For well, those he, who from his point of view, of course, he was a premillennialist. Falwell was, and so he's thinking that this is getting people thinking in the right direction. They were obvious; they were novels. They and, and it told the story of individuals 
imaginary individuals who were in that left behind scenario. Uh, but Falwell, because he thinks it's worthwhile to promote premillennial thought, uh, he, he thought it was a good thing to get people thinking in the right directions. That's where he was coming from. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. So are the authors of the Left Behind books and their proponents, False Prophets, too. Well, I'd say yes. Uh, at, say least, yes. Uh, at least they're, they're, they're making their trade based upon things that are not taught in the Bible. All right. And, and so, you know, if, you, if, if it was just pure, you know, imagination, but, but it's, it's playing upon religious false teaching. It's not, I mean, anytime you, you write or read a novel, you're, you're, uh, you're dealing with the make-believe, you know, things not real, imaginary things. And that's not necessarily bad, but in this case, I think it's bad because it's making its basis on religious false teaching. Uh, and leading people to conclusions, religious conclusions that are false. And uh, uh, so I think it's hurtful in that sense. All right. Um, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Is the world going to end in 2012? Uh, is there going to be some cataclysmic event that will uh, cause the world to be destroyed? Or if you believe uh, that Christ will return to this earth, and uh, then the earth will be judged and destroyed after that. Do you believe that that will happen in the year 2012? What are your thoughts? We'd want to hear from you on the program tonight. We got a question in the in the chat room from Sharon, who asked, uh, "Where in the Bible does it mention a battle or Armageddon?" Uh, in Revelation 16, uh, in Revelation sixteen sixteen it says he gathered them to gather into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, um, and so, so it's talking about a, a battle of, of of good and evil. Of course, the book of Revelation is a is a book full of of uh, figurative imagery, uh, and we usually point out when we look in the book of Revelation, the very first book says it's a book spoken in sign or symbol. And so for people to make literal application of the imagery that's, that's described in the book of Revelation is always dangerous. When you try to make a literal application of a figurative passage, you get in trouble every time. And, and the people who go to Revelation, of course, Revelation chapter 20 is the only place in the Bible that talks about a thousand year reign of Christ. And again, people trying to make a literal application of a, of a figurative passage are going to get in trouble. Kind of interesting, just to show you how, how off base this can be. In Revelation chapter 20, again, this is the only place in the Bible that mentions a thousand year reign. In Revelation chapter 20, it begins verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So there's the thousand years. And some people want to grab onto that as being literal. But notice the passage just absolutely yells out that it's a figurative passage. It starts out in verse 1 that an angel came down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit. Well, now, if you think about that, it couldn't be literal because you couldn't literally have a bottomless pit. You could have a very deep pit, but any literal pit would have a bottom in it. So a bottomless pit says this is figurative. Then he talks about uh, uh, a chain that would bind Satan. Well, Satan's a spirit being, not a literal physical being, there's no literal chain that could bind a spirit being. That argues that this is a figurative passage as well. And so the whole passage is screaming out, this is figurative, not literal. And then I th- what I think is really interesting, and I've asked premillennialists before and never got a good answer, but verse 4 says that the ones who will reign with Christ during the thousand years are only those who were beheaded for the witness of Jesus martyrs but specifically only the martyrs who were beheaded for their witness of jesus will reign with him i've never met a premillennialist who believed that and so what they they have just seized upon one element in that passage and and then built all this theory of premillennialism based on something that is 
obviously in a figurative passage. All right. Uh, so appreciate that uh, that question. 877-381-4567 is the number to call. Questions at collegeu.com is the email address to use. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Do you believe that there is a God? Are you convinced that he is the creator of the entire universe? Have you examined the evidence and become persuaded that he not only has made everything, but also sustains all things that we see and know? Actually, there's lots of proof, and believing in these things requires no blind leap of faith. Rather, it's a logical conclusion based upon the evidence. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, the Apostle Paul said, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Those who will honestly study the matter must surely agree. Having made that point right at the end of Romans chapter 11, Paul proceeds in the next verse to make a plea based upon the truth that God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He says in Romans 12 verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do you see it? The emphasis here is upon what is reasonable. If God made all things and continues to provide the necessary support to keep all things functioning, then it simply is the reasonable thing for us to serve him. Think about it. We are his. We belong to him. He made us. He upholds us. It only makes sense for us, therefore, to do what he wants us to do. In this text, the phrase, present your bodies a living sacrifice, indicates the degree of this reasonable service. We are not being called upon to offer ourselves to him on a part-time basis, maybe a few hours per week or a couple of days each year. Instead, we are to give ourselves completely over to him. In our selfish, self-centered age, there are many who are totally unfamiliar with the notion of sacrifice. They are the center of their own universe. They think constantly of what can be gained for self. They completely ignore the duty that is due to the one who made them and constantly blesses them with the things that maintain their existence. Such conduct is absolutely unreasonable. If you believe in God, logic and reason demand that you humbly serve him. Are you doing so? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's word taught every Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back into the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about the movie 2012, the Mayan calendar that ends in 2012, and the phenomenon of people today thinking that the world will end on the calendar year 2012. What do you think? What do you think the Bible teaches about the second coming of Christ and the end of the world? We've talked a lot about the false doctrines tonight. We want to talk now about what the Bible actually teaches about the second coming of Christ. Before we do, before we leave those false prophecies, John in Oklahoma City uh, sends in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22, When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if that thing, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that it is the thing which the Lord hath not, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. And so that's the test of a prophet. If his prophecy comes true, then you know he was, uh, if he does not come true, you know it was not from God. And then we have another listener in the chat room who sends in Jeremiah 14, verse 14. Uh, then the Lord said unto me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart. And certainly that had occurred in the Old Testament. And it's occurring today. Uh, that has been happening for years. And this listener also sends in Jeremiah 23, 25 through 32, a lengthy reading there uh, where God expresses his uh, uh, disgust of those who are, are spreading false the false prophets. False prophets, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. Thanks. Thanks for those comments in the chat room. Uh, we've got several people chatting away there in the chat room. So if you're not joined in there, you can. looks like tonight you've got to have a an account that's a free, simple to set up account so that you can get in there to the chat room. So do that, and I think uh, you'll appreciate being able to, to, to participate in that discussion. So, what do we know? What do we know for sure about the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, I would start out, Jacob, by saying we know that He is coming again. The Bible's pretty plain in its emphasis on the fact that the Lord is going to return again. Yeah. Acts chapter one, beginning verse ten, when Jesus ascended into heaven. 
It says, while the apostles were viewing him, it says, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So on the very day that Jesus ascended to heaven, the promise was he's coming again. You know, And so the Bible's pretty clear on that. The Lord is going to come again. All right. In Acts chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So Christ is foretell his coming has been foretold again in Acts chapter three, verses and, twenty and twenty one. And again, uh, that that all ties in as as Peter was preaching there, that all ties in with things that go all the way back into the Old Testament. Promises, predictions, prophecy about uh these things. Philippians 3.20 says, Our conversation or manner of life is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 12, verse 40, uh, Jesus said, Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when you think not. So, I mean, if, if, if you want to start making a list of the things that we know for sure, at the head of the list, say, we know for sure that he's coming again. We know for sure that the that that this this physical universe is going to be destroyed in second peter chapter 3 verse 10 the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the earth also and the works that are there and shall be burned up and there's no doubt there's no doubt the lord's going to return there's no doubt that the physical universe including this earth are going to be destroyed and that's we, what we know for sure we ought to talk about second peter chapter 3 verse 12 before this program is over as we look to our response to the fact that christ will come again we can talk about that uh, towards the end of the program but the uh, the apostles taught about the second coming of christ throughout time in first john chapter 3 verse 2 uh beloved now are we not the sons of god but it doth not and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is christ will come again he will appear uh it is just not deniable the, the, the scriptures teach that, that christ will come again now of course the thing that has intrigued people the most through the years and we've already been talking about this on our program is to make prediction or try to guess when this is going to happen and as i was saying earlier jacob such predictions date all the way back into the first century uh, recently here at college view we've been studying the book of second thessalonians and in it the apostle had to deal with apostle paul had to deal with Apparently, some people trying to predict about the Lord's return. He says in Second Thessalonians 2, 2, We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So apparently there were some, and, and other versions say, this says, this is King James wording, which implies some people are predicting the imminent return of Christ. Other versions say maybe some people were saying that the day of Christ had already come. But either way, it was a, a, the timing of that was a matter of great concern and interest among those folks way back then, nearly 2,000 years ago. And it's been going on ever since. And it caused problems in the church at Thessalonica, and it's causing problems among people today as well, the, the misunderstanding of, of Christ and what he said about his coming. Exactly right. Now, a lot of that speculation through the ages has been centered on matthew chapter 24 that's why we asked the poll what do you think what's your view of matthew chapter 24 and it looks like our responses are still the same the majority of people are saying that matthew 24 deals with both the destruction of jerusalem and things that will happen at the end of time uh, the uh, Ma- matthew 24 is is interesting because it mentions some things, and whenever you're listening to these teachers on the, on the radio or TV, they'll always point these things out. In Matthew 24, uh, Jesus said, "Many will come in verse five. Many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places." These are all the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake, and so forth and so on it goes. Well, when people read that list, they think, well, wow. You know, uh, there are certainly lots of wars 
And he said there would be wars. And we read about uh, famines. That's been going on. We hear about it in the news. Pestilences or disease. Man, well, we got a worldwide pandemic of swine flu going on right now. Um, earthquakes. Oh, man. Talk about earthquakes. We hear about we we hear more about earthquakes now than we ever have in the past. And so, people who read those verses uh, are inclined to say Jesus must have been talking about right now. It must be our time. And so that 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 uh, generates a lot of this speculation uh, as they read that. If they would just read the whole context of Matthew chapter twenty four, it's very clear that when you get down to verse thirty four. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. That just that just nails it down. I mean, there's, there, there can be no doubt to anybody who would honestly consider this text that at least everything that precedes Matthew chapter 24, 34, everything in Matthew 24 prior to, to verse 34 for sure is talking about things that happened in that generation, not ours, that happened back there in the first century A.D., not in the 21st century A.D. I mean, that's just absolutely certain. If anybody would just read the text, they would have to come to that conclusion. Um, now, uh, let me read an email here from uh, from Anthony. He says, I think at least the first half or so of Matthew 24 must be related to something other than the end of the world. First of all, at the beginning of the chapter, the disciples are asking about the temple building specifically, and Jesus specifically says the stones will be brought down. To me... This has clear reference specifically to the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish system. Secondly, at the end of verse 3, what the King James translates into world is probably better translated end of age, which is, by the way, what the English Standard Version says, among others, I'm sure. End of the age, again, harmonizes perfectly with the immediate context of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. Though not particularly crucial, verse 14 talks about the gospel being preached to the whole world. We know this was accomplished within the time frame of the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, that's first uh, uh, Colossians one twenty three Colossians one twenty three, rather than something that's not happened yet. In verse fifteen, the abomination of desolation may indeed have reference to one or more instances when Romans defiled the temple and incited riots and rebellions by the Jews, ultimately leading to the final stamping out of the Jews in seventy A.D. Finally, in verse thirty four, Jesus states, "This generation will not pass till all these things are fulfilled." This seems to clearly indicate an immediacy to the judgment that had just been described. After verse 34, however, the language seems to take a different form and may be more properly understood as true end-of-time teaching. I, I agree with Anthony. I really think he's done a good job of wording this. It is true that the the discussion that, that Jesus was engaged there in Matthew 24 was in answer to the disciples' question. It says in verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? So Jesus had just been predicting that the temple would be torn down. And the disciples said, when's that going to happen? Now, it may be in verse 3 that they ask two questions. When's this going to happen? And when's going to be the end of the world? I think in their mind, those would have been simultaneous. They were, they were so devoted to the, to the temple and the, and the system of Judaism that they lived under. To them, if the temple's torn down, that must be the end of the world. But, uh, of course, Jesus is going to answer the question, the first question for sure, the temple is going to be torn down in 70 AD. He said, and, and without a doubt, that's going to happen in this generation. And it did. And Jesus' prediction came true. Now, did Jesus go on to answer a second question that wasn't related to the first, what shall be the end of the world? Some people think so. Anthony thinks so. I, I tend to lean in that direction. Maybe we can get a little bit more into that. We're ready for a break. Maybe we can get a little bit more into that when we come back from this break. We were asking you in our poll question, what do you think? Do you think the whole chapter talks about the destruction of Jerusalem? Or do you think, as Anthony mentions, as I'm inclined to believe, that there's a break at about verse 36 when Jesus goes on to answer what amounted to a second question, when will be the end of the world? Uh, give us your opinion in our poll if you can get to, to our poll. Yes, just from a, the observation you made, though, about the first part of the chapter where it's very clear that it's talking about uh, something that would happen in those days. Uh, certainly, if I was going to be a false prophet and wanted to make claims that Christ's uh, coming was 
imminent. Uh, certainly verse 7, uh, verse 6, you'll hear wars and rumors of wars. Um, the, people have said within the last 3,000 years, there have been only 250 some odd years without any war. So that certainly would go. That'd be something I could use any time I wanted to in my yeah, you could, you could you could jump on that anytime. Sure. And uh, in verse uh, 7, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. And we do hear more about earthquakes than we ever have before. I think that's almost surely, though, uh, uh, due to the fact we have better reporting of it than ever before. I mean, we've, we've got, got better instrumentation right. to measure it, and we've got better ways to disseminate that information once we ha- have detected those earthquakes. And yeah. so uh, certainly it is a, uh, a fertile ground for someone who wants to be a false prophet and claim that the end of the world is imminent. Well, let us know your thoughts. We're going to take one last break, and we go to the top of the hour talking about the movie 2012. Will Christ return in 2012? Will the, in- the earth end? In the year 2012, if you have not commented, the phone line is open and the email address is ready for your comments. Join in the discussion. We'll be back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View's Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. Uh, We hope that you will take a minute to join in on the discussion. Uh, We have a few more minutes to take your phone calls or your emails. So we talk about the end of the world. What what do you believe the Bible teaches about uh, the end of the world, the destruction of the earth? Jacob, one of the things, we were just talking about those signs there in Matthew 24 that clearly Jesus predicted would precede the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. That We know that. Historically, we know that happened in 70 A.D. Uh, and interestingly, we, we have some pretty good secular history from that era as well. I mean, by the time you get to the first century A.D., we have a lot of recorded history. And, of course, one of the famous historians of that day and, and in that era and in that place was Josephus, and Josephus wrote about the things that happened leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and he reported that there were false Christs. Certainly there were plenty of wars and rumors of wars. There were famines and pestilences and many earthquakes, even even cosmic signs. He, he reported uh, uh, an unusual star that appeared over the city of Jerusalem and a comet that was visible for a year in that time and, and so jesus talks about stars falling from heaven and yeah he like talked that. about jesus talked about some astronomical kind of signs that might have occurred at that time although i think the language gets pretty figurative there in matthew 24 as well but we have secular historians what we're saying is we have secular historians who agree that the things jesus said would happen leading up to the destruction of jerusalem actually did happen so I just don't think there's any doubt that uh, I think anybody who will carefully read and study Matthew 24 has to come to the conclusion that at least until you get through verse 34, Jesus was talking about the end of the Jewish age, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and so forth. Back to our poll, Jacob, we were asking. Now, the question is what happens after verse 34? Does Jesus go on to talk about the end of the world, the end of time? In our in our very uh, unscientific poll, 70% believe that Jesus did go on then in the last part of Matthew 24 to talk about the end of the world. 20% think the whole chapter deals with, with the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, now, 
there are a couple of parallel texts to Matthew 24. Luke 21 and Mark 13 are also where Jesus was answering those questions of his disciples about the destruction of the temple. And I would grant that in Luke 21, it seems clear that the whole discourse that Luke records is describing the destruction of Jerusalem. But that does not that does not necessarily mean that Matthew Matthew's account is the same. Matthew may have given some additional information that Luke didn't deal with. And that often happens in the gospel accounts. They're not contradictory. They're supplemental one to another. And so I think Matthew does tend to, in, to deal with end-time things. I think Luke 21 probably doesn't deal with that part of the discourse. But, I mean, there's, there's two views on that. I think the more traditional one is the one that Anthony suggested in his email. That's the one I'm inclined to believe uh, where that it says that Jesus made a break there. And beginning at verse 36, when he says, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He goes on then to talk about the end of time, his final coming and judgment. Now uh, we see that numerous times in the New Testament that we simply don't know when Christ is coming. And then if anyone uh, claims to know uh, then uh, they are obviously a false prophet because the scriptures tell us very plainly that we don't know and we won't know when Christ is coming again. Yeah, that the the thief in the night uh, imagery is used several times. Jesus uh, suggested that you needed to watch uh, because he says in verse 43, the if the good man of the house had known in this is Matthew twenty four forty three if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come he would have watched would not have suffered his house to be broken up therefore be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the son of man cometh well other inspired writers use that same imagery Jacob Paul did in First uh, Thessalonians five verse one and two that the times and seasons brethren you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And Peter used the same language in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, a passage you cited a few minutes ago, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And so as a thief comes in the middle of the night, uh, he doesn't make a call before he comes. He doesn't uh, give you warning. He comes uh, unexpectedly, and that is the idea that is presented here. Okay. Uh, so if we're writing down things we know for sure, about the end of time. We know that Jesus is coming, uh, but we don't know when. So we know he is, but we don't know when. But we do know some other details about his His appearance and what it will be like. For instance, we know that uh, he's going to, it's going to be a visible thing. He cometh with the clouds, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him, even so, amen. Revelation 1, verse 7. So, I mean, it's not, you know, remember the Jehovah's Witnesses says he came, nobody saw him. Only certain ones saw him, a few saw him. I don't, th- I don't think this is the kind of thing that's going to be missed. Another passage, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, tells he's going to come audibly. You're going to hear it, a passage the Jehovah's Witnesses misuse as well. And they think this references Jesus as being Michael the archangel. But in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And so there's going to be noise as well. I don't so know what, and I never know, I, I, I couldn't tell you. What's that sound of that shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God? I don't know what those are going to sound like, but I got to tell you, I, my impression is you won't miss it. You won't, it'll be like something that nobody ever experienced before. It will not be something that you'll miss. All right. And he will be on the clouds as you see him. It says in verse Thessalonians chapter four, verse 17, and we which are alive and remain up shall be caught to, up together with them in the clouds and to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So he'll be in the clouds. Uh, we know. So, so again, we're building a list. What do we know? We know he's coming. We don't know when. We know you'll 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 see it, you'll hear it. He'll come in the clouds. He'll come with his angels. Matthew sixteen twenty seven. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So the angels are going to be in attendance when that happens. Again, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm I'm telling you, I'm sure it's like nothing anybody's ever experienced before. Unmistakable. And he's going to come, as we said, without warning, as a thief in the night. And so we may need to be ready for his coming. Now, Jacob, you suggested right here at the end of our, our study we might talk about what's the, you know sort of the so what of all this. So he's coming. So what? 
What does that mean to us? What should be our reaction to that reality? It is a reality. There's no doubt about it. What should be our reaction to that reality? Well, we need to know why he's coming so that we can be prepared. And he's coming to judge uh, the world in John chapter 5. Uh, verses 28 and 29, marvel not at this, the hour is coming, which they which are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So since we know that he is coming, we don't know when, and we know he's coming to judge the world, we need to be prepared for that. So not only those who are living, but also those who have died will be resurrected. All mankind is going to be in that judgment. He's going to judge all men, Second Corinthians 5, verse 10 but we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether uh, according to that that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So the living and the dead are going to stand before the Lord in judgment to receive uh, either a reward or a punishment based upon how they've lived their lives. That's 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 really the bottom line. That's what's important about all this. You know, the speculation about. 2012 or any other predicted time of his coming doesn't matter the bible tells us we can't know but what we can know is that he is coming and why he's coming and what will happen when he comes and along those lines first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 4 tells us that even though we don't know we won't be surprised first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 4 says but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief we with this knowledge that the scriptures give us doesn't tell us exactly when but it's not going to overtake us as a thief. We're going to be prepared. We'll be ready when he comes. If if we've been listening, if we've been listening to what's really important, we'll be ready. All right. Uh, and and then of course he's going to reward the righteous, punish the wicked. Um, Matthew thirteen forty one fourteen. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them that do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But Hebrews 9:28 says Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. His appearance will be unto our ultimate eternal salvation. For those who are ready, it's not a thing to be dreaded or feared. You know, we were reading earlier that NASA scientist said he's hearing kids talking about suicide, adults who are crying and can't stop, can't sleep for worry. We don't have to worry about that. That's not something we have to cry about or lose sleep over. That's something to look forward to. He's going to, uh, again, Hebrews 9.28, Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It will be unto our ultimate eternal salvation if we're ready. Looking for him is the idea of longing for him in First Peter chapter three verse uh, First Peter Second Peter chapter three verse twelve. Looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved with, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And so we should be looking for and longing for that in Revelation chapter 22 with the concept or the uh, idea of Christ coming again. Faced with that realization, John says, even so, Lord, come quickly. And that ought to be our attitude as well. And and we know that when this happens, this, is, this will be end of time things. You know, there is this false idea. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach it, but there are others who are teaching it too, that the earth is not going to be destroyed that maybe the earth will be remade or refashioned or reconstituted. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that when all this transpires, the Lord's going to put the earth back into its Garden of Eden, pristine conditions that existed before sin entered the world, and the world will never be destroyed. It will continue on. But 2 Peter 3, verse 10 is just too clear. It says, uh, The heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up uh so i mean that's that's just very clear the world will be destroyed all right and uh certainly is not something that we should fear you know the the lord may come in 2012 and if he does that'd be great that'd be wonderful it'd be better if he'd come earlier than that, that. it doesn't have anything in the world to do with mind calendar that's right and we ought to be prepared or galactic be able... convergence well uh, you're not going to cross the galactic equator. Huh? Right. Well, I mean, we may. We might do it, but the coming of the Lord doesn't have anything to do with that. All right. We should be looking forward to it. And Keith, uh, finally, to conclude our study tonight, Keith in the chat room has suggested Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And certainly an understanding that Christ will return again, that he will come without warning, should put the frame on our, our life and should define our life in the way that we're living our life. Uh, we have to be preparing for the judgment. Exactly right. 
All right. We appreciate everyone for your comments tonight. Dad, a good study and an important study, a timely study, as uh, uh, these end-time discussions are quite popular in the world. Exactly right. Thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. All right. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week. Next week is the Thanksgiving edition of the Virtual Bible Study, but the Virtual Bible Study will be live yeah, next well, week. It's, it's going to be a big Thanksgiving day, but we never we never postpone the Virtual Bible Study, so Lord willing, we'll, we'll be out there. So if you can stay awake after eating turkey uh, that day, uh, make a note, maybe put it on your appointment calendar, set an alarm in your cell phone. Gather the family around. Gather family around, and let's have a virtual Bible study next Thursday night. All right. We hope you'll make plans to be back next Thursday night. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.